Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to something new, thank you for trying us out. I'll reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're pretty good friends. At least that's what, how I would describe our relationship. I'm not sure how Ben talks about it on Facebook. Or I whatever. rarely mention it, if ever. <laughs> yeah, see that? I should really never mention that again. Um, but you can find our work all over the internet. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of his publications as well as some news about his graphic novel. Uh, okay, you can find my work at Car and Driver, at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And my graphic novel, Code 45, issue number one, is supposed to come out June 1st. I say supposed to because there is currently a worldwide paper shortage that has messed up a lot of printing dates for publishers, not just in comics, but also in mainstream publishing, uh, gra- uh, regular novels, all that good stuff. So, in theory, you should be able to walk into a... Um, comic book shop anywhere in North America next week or this coming Wednesday, I guess, after this comes out on Sunday and pick up a copy of Code 45 number one. And if you do that, that would be awesome. If you don't, no pressure. I mean, you can always wait for number two, but it, it would be a big help if you could do that. Um, that is a big deal. You guys got to get on this on this uh, graphic novel, people. Come on. Um, you can find my work, an unrelated topic, you can find my work. Um, at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, TechSpot, and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, I wanted to start us off this week with uh, some co- a conversation about a new electric vehicle. This is the BMW iX, and not just any iX, because there are two uh, variations that people have probably discussed, not on our podcast, but on other ones. Um, I'm driving the brand new, or I drove the brand new iX M60 version of the car, uh, I went all the way to Germany to test this out, which was very important because there's unrestricted highways there, and we managed to get this thing up to uh, pretty close to its uh, top speed, which is 155 miles per hour. We ended up getting 140, which is pretty good. I, I want to point out how confusing that nomenclature is, because IX is a term that's been used by BMW for decades. <laughs> yes, that's right. At least for X-Drive, right? Back yeah. in the day? Well, they call it X-Drive now. Before, back in like the, the 90s, when you had the three, the E30, the uh, three, not the original 3 series. Uh-oh. I guess it's are kind you, of are original. You, are you okay over there, Ben? <laughs> I think it's kind of original, like the E21 was before it, but um, that was the four-wheel drive version of that. It was the 325 IX, and then they kind of moved IX to all the other 3 Series and 5 Series, and eventually 7, that got it and then we got ix or xi it was ix okay and xi came later because they just flipped it and now we're back to ix but it's now its own product it's not like just saying you know here's an all-wheel drive vehicle right right and it's important to mention it's its own product because bmw has um a few other electric vehicles that are out or coming out like the i4 and the i7 which share platforms with their gas-powered um Equivalent. So the i4 is essentially a four series Grand Coupe with um, an electric powertrain, and the i7 is a seven series with an all electric powertrain. The iX is unlike those two because it uses its own platform, and you can really tell that when you get into the vehicle and you see just how the there is no like transmission hump. It's it's a very spacious vehicle, um, and, and just the layout and the ability to put 111 kilowatt hours worth of batteries in it. Um, that's that's part of the the gimmick there. That's 111. 
111 kilowatt hours. That is a yeah. sizable battery. It's it's interesting. That's the that's the overall size of the battery. Uh, 105 is what's um, accessible by the powertrain. Um, I think we've discussed this in the past. Apparently, these vehicles don't go down to or don't give you the full um, battery size in order to preserve their or in order to preserve their capacity. Um, over several years of charges and discharges. Yes, it's a, uh, m- most of the larger batteries especially do that. You, that or at least that's where it's the difference between gross and net battery is more noticeable, right? Yeah. So let's talk about this. The iX is a, I mean, I'm not going to call it an attractive vehicle anyway, so we're going to call it um, an unattractive vehicle. I don't know wow. if it's ugly, but it's, uh, it's not uh, particularly gorgeous, but it is a large, family-friendly crossover. I think it's supposed to be the flagship um, electric vehicle for BMW, and whether or not that's going to change when the i7 shows up is yet to be seen. But this vehicle, it comes with three different powertrains. There's the X-Drive 40, the X-Drive 50, and this M60, which uses the same platform, which uses the same battery as the X-Drive 50, but with um, a more advanced powertrain, or at least just more power uh, altogether. What I, I'm going to say, you know, you say this is not attractive. I'm getting really strong 6 Series um, GT vibes some, some people vehicle. really liked that thing. remember remember how we it's, yeah that's the vehicle that we talked about how it, it it's the vehicle that makes a ton of sense from bmw like it was the best it was the best all-around bmw you could buy it had like the hatchback it had the great interior space it had a great drivetrain it was yeah. reasonably fun to drive but it looked so strange yeah and because it looked so strange no one bought them and because no one bought them they were really cheap like you could get a crazy deal <laughs> yeah. we actually had a listener write into us and say that they were shopping for a vehicle and ended up with the 6 Series GT because they got such an insane deal. Like, it wasn't necessarily on their radar, but they couldn't walk away from the value. I look at this iX, and it's kind of like a GT mixed with a Murano. <laughs> yes, <laughs> with there's that, a lot of, uh, there is a lot of Nissan Murano in this, uh, in this design. In that profile with the greenhouse with the, the flying, yeah. the, the, the hidden, uh, C pillar or D pillar, I guess. Yeah. It's just not. It's. I. I don't want to talk too much about the about the exterior design. There's also those, that weird like kidney grill design that just. It's unnecessary. Um, in, in the era of electrification, it just doesn't look. Well, right, you gotta man. keep those batteries cool. How else are you gonna do that? That's. It's a fake grill, man. It's what's behind it. I don't know. All right. Well, that's but strong words for use, someone who doesn't they know. Use, <laughs> they actually use liquid and oil cooling for their powertrain. In fact, the powertrain is a very important part of this whole M60 thing. The, the, Sammy, I hate, to, I hate to break it to you, but oil is a liquid. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe not in this vehicle. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, it, it, it's just different because usually most vehicles use um, liquid cooling, like uh, water cooling or something, or whatever you want to call it, like uh, antifreeze. Antifreeze, but this uses as well uh, an oil um, solution as well. I want to talk about this powertrain. The powertrain is the most important, one of the most important things to talk about here. This is the fifth generation BMW electric powertrain, um, which is weird because their their the i3, which is their first real electric vehicle, was their third generation. So I don't really know what the heck's going on here, but. Um, this vehicle has a, a very interesting design. Most batteries, uh, most motors use a uh, permanent magnet solution for their electric motors, and this one does not. It uses what's known as a brushed uh, rotor, a uh, b- brushed motor design. Um, that's weird. Apparently, that's a lot <laughs> like uh, toy toy cars that we used to have as kids, or or model train sets. And this why? Like what's, the, what's the reason? 
So one of the main reasons they can get this is this is what it will allow them to get. First of all, it allows them to limit the use of rare earth magnets or rare earth materials in their in the production of the vehicle. So they think this has some a sustainability um, advantage. These brushed des, brush motor designs are also um, they can be kind of juiced up in a way that allows the performance seen in this M60 version. Um, so they they can spin up to fifteen thousand. 400 RPM. They can deliver power all the way through, and uh, it's very, very quiet um, at, at that, more so than some of the whirring or whining that you hear in some of the other electric People vehicles. are always complaining about how loud electric cars are. I mean, that's- it's not how loud it is. It's just the 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 soundtrack, the, how appealing that soundtrack is. Okay. Um, so this one can deliver a peak of 611 horsepower and something like 811 pound-feet of torque. That's when you put this vehicle in a launch mode. I don't know why you would put a family-friendly crossover in launch control mode, but you can. And if you do, you'll get it to uh, 60 miles per hour in 3.8 seconds, which is very quick for a vehicle that weighs 5,700 pounds. How many seconds was that again? 3.8. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Yes. Um, and what's cool is it just keeps on going. Like I said, the top speed is 155. It gets – it. it it was pretty convincingly getting up to that speed until I had to slow down because of the, some traffic on the Autobahn. But it was quick, man. Like, I, I just cannot tell you. You know, you mentioned you drove the uh, e-tron GT and that, like, you were convinced at that point that these electric powertrains can be really entertaining. I think you, you're now seeing this in, this level of performance a little bit more frequently and in bigger vehicles like the iX. I actually think this is more entertaining in some in some cases, than the Taycan that I drove a few years ago. So my question, though, is a vehicle that's this size and this heavy, and in a country like Germany that has unrestricted speed limits, how much range do you get at 150 miles an hour? Well, I don't know how much at exactly 150 miles per hour, but the EPA-rated range of this is 280 miles, which is a tick below that of the um, X-Drive 50, which, uh, not even a tick, uh, I think it's pretty significant, um, which which tops it at 324 miles per hour, but, but, uh, but, miles of range. But what I mean is, you know... Yeah, how quickly will that... Will that range how much, how much 150 mile an hour driving do you actually get to do? And, and to be fair, if you're in a gas vehicle and you're driving 150 miles an hour, yeah. you're using an insane amount of fuel. That's like right. you could probably visibly see the fuel needle go down. So it's not that different, but in, no. in an electric vehicle, you do have the longer charging. So well, how, what's the charging recuper- rate on this vehicle? So this is one of the, I'll talk about the charging rate because you, you asked and I want to talk about the, the regenerative braking afterwards because that's another interesting. I assume it just deploys a parachute at that speed (laughs) and and does some kind of like a windmill effect to to generate more electricity. Honestly, I think that that would be pretty effective. The max charge rate is, um, they say 195. So essentially a 200 kilowatt, uh, charger will, will work. So it's, Um, it's nearly twice as slow. It's nearly half as fast as a, uh, Hyundai Ionic 5, which I'm which assuming costs one-third the, the cost of this vehicle. Uh, about half this, I think. Um, this thing costs 105000 And you can uh, get a, a 44000 is the base price on the Ionic. Yeah. Without without any kind of federal tax rebates, which it qualifies for the full 7500 so and it charges char- at 350. At 350. And that's very fast. Very now, fast. Th- this one does 195 or whatever, 200. We'll, we'll just round it up to 200. It'll get from 10 to 80% in 35-ish minutes, I yeah, believe, so, at that rate. So that compared to the 10 to 80 in the Ionic 
is uh, at almost. He said thirty-five. That's almost a twenty-minute difference. Yeah, isn't that wild? It's That's really so, wild, and I don't. It's so, so strange that BMW, a luxury brand with an exclusive platform, but I guess it's, it's this gener- it's this motor that had to be. Or this powertrain that had to be included in the four series and seven series, which were also probably in development for a long time, right? Well, what, but but I do think it's like you're saying it's strange. This is their dedicated uh, EV platform, and it is using previous generation charging speed technology. Like that, mm-hmm. I don't get it. Like it's not like okay, the current charging infrastructure out there, as we've said many times, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not it's not great. No, it's not great, but it's not like they're going to be installing more slow chargers. Yeah, Every right. new charger that gets installed is going to be faster than the ones that came before it. So if you buy a car like the Ionic that is capable of taking advantage of a faster charging speed, you're essentially future-proofing your purchase. Whereas if you buy this BMW, you're kind of stuck in a weird middle ground. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... It is strange because I think you're right. It seems like it's designed for the technology of today, which which you will see probably more 150 or 50 kilowatt chargers rather than 350s, and uh, maybe it's okay for for that, those you know neighborhoods that have that much that those kinds of DC fast chargers. But this just you're right. The more fast chargers we get, will be uh, 350, um, and this just won't take full advantage of that. No. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was the um, regenerative braking. This vehicle has a most, – most vehicles have a couple of levels of regenerative braking. This one has one that is interesting. It's called adaptive. Adaptive, the way it works, it uses the navigation data. So if, you're, if you have a route set on your navigation, as well as the sensors in the uh, forward collision warning or adaptive cruise control to determine h- how much braking, like automatic regenerative braking is needed um, – at any time. So it seems like it's always making the best calculation, the best estimation of how much braking is needed um, each time you you hit the brakes, which is ra- actually really cool. And it seems like it's taking as much um, energy as possible. I believe get. that the Audi and the Porsche systems do the same thing. Do the same thing? I don't think yes. they use as many inputs, though. Just they use navigation or I think the... it's navigation and driving style, but I don't uh, think that they use the forward collision warning. Well, I, I just thought that was really interesting. I, I, I did want to ask, though, um, a, a knock against the Audi version is that you don't actually have a real – you do have limited control yourself. Like if you wanted to step in and really turn up the regenerative system, you can use paddle shifts, but it's limited. Like it only goes to maybe a quarter of what you would get in uh, a more aggressive setup. Does the BMW allow you to make your own setting or is it automatic all the time? Um, no, you have a couple of different settings, including like a, a braking mode, like a, a whatever you want to call it, B on the gear, on the gear stick, okay. the gear stick that acts like a one pedal driving mode. Okay. Um, and then we also have to talk because it's an M vehicle uh, or an M badge or M sport vehicle. An important part of all M vehicles is the sound, and we mentioned that electric vehicles, you know, they're not exactly soul stirring with the noise that they make. Um, and in fact, no one I think goes, "Oh yeah, that's right." To I don't know. I liked I liked the, sound the of, GT. I thought it was pretty cool, but to the sound of that grating tire hum that comes with with the vehicle. So that's all you get usually. But BMW is trying is trying to solve this by creating a, a fake sort of electronic, um, a fake sort of sound like a which a they've fake been engine. doing for a decade now. They like- have been doing this for a while. Yes. Um, for this. These electric vehicles, they've teamed up with this guy named Hans Zimmer. Do you know who Hans Zimmer is? No, I've never heard of Hans Zimmer. Tell me who Hans Zimmer is. I don't know. Just some dude who seems to know his way around some instruments and and, uh, music. Did you know Hans Zimmer can't read music? (laughs) Really? Really. 
So you do know this guy. He's self-taught. Of course. Who doesn't know Hans Zimmer? Okay. In fact, um, I was reading – I'm reading this book right now. Um, it's about a, Hans Zimmer? No, it's a 450-page interview with a Werner Herzog, and he talks about working with Hans Zimmer and, and how – so Herzog himself – he can play instruments, but he can't read music, and he wasn't formally trained in cinema. So when he um, – he's a director, for those who aren't familiar. He's a pretty interesting guy. But uh, when he worked with Zimmer, he he was really heartened by the fact that this person at the top of his game also doesn't read music, which is pretty challenging when you're in an orchestral situation because if you are if you have this movie soundtrack and you want to record it, yeah. the symphony does read music. So you have to <laughs> find a way to communicate that to them. Anyway. So basically, Hans Zimmer designed this um, soundtrack for the vehicle, uh, for all of their electric vehicles. So even the the X Drive 40 and X Drive 50 have their own sort of sound that happens when you when you hit the ga- when you hit the throttle or the accelerator. Um, the M vehicles, these M60 versions of the car, um, have a slightly different sound. It's a little bit more bassy, a little bit more uh, cyberpunky. Wait, cyberpunky. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you're in the you're watching Blade Runner uh, all the time, right? So like, it sounds like Vangelis more than Hans Zimmer. Maybe Vangelis, <laughs> R.I.P. He, he died last week. The composer of the soundtrack to Blade Runner, super uh, amazing musician. Uh, he also did Chariots of Fire, which was one of the first movies to really kind of push a synth score into the mainstream. Anyway, he was a fantastic mm-hmm. composer, and the world is lesser w- with without him. And it just is this really interesting bassy thrum, and to me. Um, it reminded me a lot of the noise that the i8. Remember the i8? It was this plug-in hybrid. Um, I love the i8. And it had a really weird noise, mainly because it used a weird turbocharged three-cylinder. Half also, a 911. <laughs> yeah. And it made all these. It made all these really weird noises, and I think I loved it for that. And it remind this M60. The noise that this thing makes reminds me so much of that. Um, if you want to, you can just turn off this funky noise feature and you can drive in silence which is what some people probably want to do in an electric vehicle um and you get away with that um what else do i need to tell you about this about this vehicle the weird part about this as much as it's an m branded vehicle 5700 pounds is a lot of weight to throw around this is not an apex hunting m M vehicle it is it is a long distance cruiser sort of um vehicle but even then uh, you have less range than the regular X-Drive 50 or 40. So it is a weird um, demographic of buyer that the M60 is appealing to. Basically, um, early adopters who want a lot of performance out of an electric vehicle, they, they kind of want to show off, I think, is the main, the main buyer of this vehicle. But not, in a, but only in a straight line, right? So if, if you were to compare this to other electric SUVs that are available right now? Yeah, this is the fast, this has to be the fastest. Um, I think maybe only the Tesla Model X is uh, is capable of, of quicker speeds. Yeah, but, I think the Model X is probably faster. Um, but that has its own downsides in terms of build quality. It has a yoke. Those, it has a yoke, my friend. You have to deal with those doors in the back. For those of you who aren't familiar, uh, all Model S's and Model X's, as of this model year, I want to say, they don't come with a steering wheel anymore. They come with a yoke like you would see in an airplane. And it's horribly problematic for a very specific reason. Um, unlike they're not variable, they're not variable no, steering ratio. All right? they did was take the steering wheel off and put the yoke on. So Oof. you you're spinning this yoke hand over hand like you would a wheel, but you can hit your arm and hands on the the handle grips, and um, it doesn't make any sense. Like there's no reason for it. If you look at Lexus, they put a yoke in a vehicle called the RZ, I believe, which is their electric SUV that's not out yet. 
And the their yoke, it only goes 150 degrees in either direction because it uses a an adaptive steering ratio that detects when you're closer to the edge of the full range of motion and steers the wheels more um, more abruptly at that edge. So when you're parking the Model S, you have to do this like ridiculous hand over hand motion. Not to mention like on the road high speed maneuvers are probably pretty scary. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because they're like, um, what is it called? Uh, steer by wire has been around for a while with the Infinity, um, Q15, Q and Q60, right? So yeah. this technology shouldn't, it shouldn't, they shouldn't have approached the yoke this way. Tesla should have known better than, than that. Are you saying so, Tesla made a weird styling decision that has practical problems in the real world, aka Falcon doors? <laughs> yes, I am saying that. Um, so the, the iX doesn't have any, too many of these issues. I think it, it has some um, usability concerns with its infotainment system. This is the new iDrive system. It is really pretty. It's a massive curved screen, but there are some capacitive touch buttons on the center console that um, they're weirdly labeled. They're like oddly labeled. They're like, I had like wood trim um, on the center console and the, the writing was like white in the wood trim. So it didn't look really, it didn't look right. Um, additionally, a lot of the controls in the cabin are that crystal that we've joked about in the past. Swarovski. Yeah, that can probably blind you if the light hits it just right. It's an anti-carjacking um, feature. You push a button <laughs> like underneath the steering wheel, and a laser hits the Swarovski, and then it angles towards the uh, driver's side window and blinds your attacker. Of course. Um, and then the the vehicle is also one of the first um, vehicles that supports uh, BMW's Digital Key Plus which works with iPhones, which have a specific um, chip, I think it's called the U1, that allow people to use their iPhone as a key fob um, entirely, and they can even iMessage their keys to their friends or family. Oh, my goodness. Okay, look, I'm totally I don't cool. know. I didn't use any of these features. I don't have an iPhone. I'm but, totally uh, cool with having a key that doesn't run out of battery. And I've, we've talked about this in the past because BMW used to offer that giant key that had a touchscreen on it and needed to be charged like almost constantly because it was it used a ton of battery. And when it didn't, when you didn't have the battery, you could still get in the car, but you couldn't use any of the features like auto, remote start and all that. Um, so my phone, I mean, if my phone is dead and I can't get in my car, that's a problem. I should, and I know you're like, oh, well, you could also have the keys with you. Well, yeah, if I have the keys with me, then I don't need the phone. So it's one half dozen of one, six of the other. And then, of course, it's a, it like like that. It has um, a wireless charging pad. You can just put your your phone on there. Apparently, it works really well. If your I've phone has pad. wireless charging, well, I think that's the case. These new iPhones with this chip have wireless charging. So you're saying I have to buy an iX and an iPhone at the same time? <laughs> yeah, you could probably afford. I have it. to dive into the Apple ecosystem. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, what were we saying about the about those uh, about all that? Gadgetry. I think we were talking about how amazing it was. <laughs> was it worth <laughs> How me? much we know. love it. <laughs> I'm, I mean, it's just for the one, those people who are on the iPhone um, ecosystem, they might enjoy this extra feature. Um, my feature, my car also had the uh, uh, augmented reality system. You know that augmented reality navigation system? It shows a video feed of the front uh, facing camera, and it puts these... Um, uh, directions over top of it. Like yeah, I have to say augmented go. reality is the biggest overpromise of a sentence when it comes to these features because to me augmented reality is I look at the windshield, there's a building there and it tells me the name of the building and how many floors and how many people are in it or whatever. Or yeah. like it tells me the car in front of me what it is. In reality, these augmented reality systems is just what you said. It's like there's an arrow 
on the head-up display in front of you, which we've had for I don't know how long now. <laughs> no, no, it's not on the it's not on the head-up display. It's on the infotainment screen. It shows a video of the of what's in front of you. Oh, so I have to look away from the road to see yes. the augmented reality. That's fantastic. How, how I know <laughs> I know you're being sarcastic, but the screen is fairly large at at about 15 inches. Does the screen um, block my view of the road ahead, so I have to rely on the augmented reality? Because a little bit. That's so, where I feel we're going with this. Exactly, a little bit. So I think you're you're okay with that. Um, I didn't find it too distracting. I didn't find it too slow because I think that was the case in some. I think in earlier Mercedes that had this feature. I would think you prefer this or an HUD? I think a HUD that could do that would be so would be so cool. So much cooler. Well, you don't need a HUD that can do that. You just need a HUD with arrows because what is doing that is the reality in front of you. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Although, yeah. although the idea of like a HUD that displays a smaller video of the road ahead, yes. in, like like you're watching picture to picture of like the the road. Yeah. Like funny. looking at a mirror with through a mirror, right? Yeah, like. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, look, I'm not. I'm not so sure about how, like, I think this is a good product. I think this is overall a pretty good vehicle, this iX M60, except for I'm not sure at how effective it will be for BMW, right? Like, they have two different versions of this iX, which are longer range and just as as well-performing. I mean, I don't think they do 0 to 16 under 4 seconds, but who really cares, right, when you you have a little bit more range and you're saving about $20,000 over the X-Drive 50 version? Let alone an M50 version of the X5, right? So this is twenty thousand dollars more than than those two. Um, I, it it seems like a like a like a play on the people who are really after a high end uh, and and premium feeling, not even premium, fast feeling BMW electric vehicle. Sure, right? I mean BMW needs to be in this space, so they're in this space. I mean that makes sense to me, right? Um, and it's also weird because BMW. Just so you know, it's their 50th anniversary this year of their M brand. Their Is that M why they gave you all brand. that honey? Yes, that was M honey. So It's called they... money, Sammy. <laughs> no, it says M honey. Um, you're going to confuse our, our listeners into thinking I took some sort of bribe. The H is silent. So you're going to hear a lot about BMW and their performance um, brand this year. For example, there's a new M4. I think it's called the CSL. Yeah, the M4. Really... It weighs 3,600 pounds or something like that. It's supposed. I thought to be, it was more than that. It's supposed to be lightweight, which it, it's 150 pounds lighter than the standard M4, which is 3,750, which is what my 20-year-old or 18-year-old Cadillac weighs. Um, so I think that this M4 lightweight weighs like what a Mustang GT weighs, but I will say this, the M4 CSL is lighter than the two series, um, 240, which weighs like 3877. Yep. Anyway, I, I, I could, I had to, I couldn't let that sleep. I had to get that off my chest. Good. I'm glad. Well, they're, they're going to, they are planning a bunch of, uh, vehicles this year, um, to talk about. So there's, I, I just mentioned the M4. I think they're going to do an X2M. They're going to do an M2 this year. I, would like, to, I think an X2M is a good idea. I think so. Um, they're going to do this new product, exclusive product called the XM, oh which will be a plug-in hybrid, I think. Um, and then they're going to go racing in the Daytona prototypes uh, division. Okay. What is it called? Daytona. What is it called? 
I don't know. You should, CI. You should figure it out, though, because they're going to be tapping you for a uh, backup driver. That's right. Um, so it's been it's a 50-year anniversary, so it's cool to see this IXM60 uh, showing up. It's also been 50 years since their first electric vehicle. This is one that people don't really know about and I wanted to tell you about. In 1972, they um, took out the guts of a 1602 and shoved a bunch of 12-volt batteries in there. And uh, used it for the Olympics, the Munich Olympics. And then hit it away forever. And then hit it. They made two, I believe. It only went like uh, 30 miles or something, 37 miles. It That's didn't go very fast. And uh, it was used in events like the marathon. So we've got the 50-year anniversary <laughs> of this electric. It kind of sounds like it was used just for one marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. Uh, 50 years for this electric vehicle, 50 years for the M. It comes together in the IXM60. That's the spiel. That's the spin they want us to tell you about. Okay. Eh, I shrug my shoulders and say, here you go. Sammy, um, I have a very different spiel I want to talk about now. Yeah, if you hit don't me mind. with your spiel because I think you have a far more entertaining spiel. Than my, my spiel is also heritage related, but it's more recent heritage. Uh, I drove the 2022 Acura MDX Type S. Oh, yes. Everyone knows about the performance division the performance suv that acura is well known for right? so yes. this is yeah this is the first type s we've had since i want to say 2009 which is when the last ones were wiped from the market but for a very brief period in the early i guess the whole first decade of the 2000s acura kind of made some performance cars yeah <laughs> and uh the type s was it was a badge that they put on the trunk of cars that were they had a bit more power and a more focused suspension and a more aggressive styling. But they weren't hardcore. They were kind of what you would call the M line or the S line cars of that era. Before mild core. <laughs> be, yeah, mild core. Before that even happened. Because BMW and Mercedes and Audi, they, they were still, you know, pretty hardcore about the S and the RS and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, you got cars like the RSX Type S, which I think went from 160 to 210 horsepower or 200 horsepower. Nice. It was a four-cylinder. Uh, there was also like a, I think, like all the cars were under two under 300 horsepower. But you had like the the CL was a Type S, which was a coupe. There was the TSX Type S, I believe, um, and the TL. So all these cars got these mildly more exciting versions, and then they just stopped. Like yeah, that was it, enough. The second decade of the new millennium, uh, Acura was like, nah, we're not really into performance anymore, or at least we're not into, like, having a performance division. So they kind of, that was the time when they melded, like, the TL and CSX into one car. Yeah. <laughs> and we got the TLX, and they, they kept the RLX around for some reason, uh, but they mostly focused on SUVs. Uh, we had the, the MDX, which had always been popular and still is the best-selling version of any vehicle that Acura sells. And the RDX, which is a slightly smaller version that also, you know, sells pretty well. And when I say sells pretty well, the MDX does like 50,000 units a year, which is roughly what BMW does with the X5. Uh, that's pretty good until you look at the fact that the Lexus RX like yeah. more than doubles that yeah. number. It is the king of that segment, the undisputed king in terms of sales figures. But... No one's touching the RX. So for Acura to do that well is is impressive. Right. We, so we are, we've got this. We've got all of this to talk about. Then we've got MDX to talk about. We've got Type S to talk about. Bring it together. I mean, first of all, I need to ask you: Was the branding like to me? The branding of Type S was kind of cool, but not like enough for me to like. I don't look back on it and go, "Oh yeah, Type S. I missed that." 
Um, I remember the TL Type S being kind of neat looking. It had these this wicked sounding exhaust. It looked pretty um, badass with these really cool wheels. Um, and that's it. That's all I really remember in terms of Type S. I think models, that the reason right? it doesn't really hit very hard is because they did walk away from it. And then they came back last year with the TLX Type S, right? Right. And this vehicle is, has the same drivetrain as the TLX Type S. Uh, instead of a sports sedan, it's a three-row SUV. But it, it, it's still walking that line of like a mid-tier performance model. Um, it's, it's, uh, looking at the numbers now, it's 355 horsepower and 354 pound-feet of torque. Now, that sounds well, wait, decent. Wait, one more time? No, wait. No, it doesn't. One more time? 355 horsepower. 355. And, and 354 pound-feet of torque from a 3-liter turbocharged V6. Almost 355. Okay. So that number... The regular motor makes what? 300? 290. So it's a 65 horsepower increase. You, you get 87 more pound-feet of torque. That's that's really where the, the boost comes in. But you're right. That's not a huge difference. Um the the thing that's sort of problematic for Acura with this Type S, so it's a 4,800-pound vehicle, which is heavy, but not, you know, a heavy weight. It's not the heaviest SUV out there. But, but <laughs> that's a great way to describe it. It's heavy, but there's heavier, right? Yeah, but I'm saying, like, you know, the power in the vehicle is sufficient. It feels... Yeah. It feels like a decent match for the weight of the vehicle. But the problem is, if you look at the BMW lineup, the entry-level X5 has 330 or 335 horsepower, and that's yeah. advertised. In reality, it has more power than that. And but the, even then, the gearing of that, of that uh, what is it called? Uh, 40? X-Drive 40? Yeah. That, the gearing is really good in that, so it always feels pretty um, responsive. It's very quick. Uh, the, the Mercedes... Um, the what's it, the GLE forty five or four fifty so yeah that has almost the same power as well so what's but that one doesn't feel as energetic off the line no but the problem for Acura is their top spec vehicle matches the entry level or <laughs> mid spec vehicle of their rivals it's it's it does sixty in like I want to say four and a half seconds sorry five point five seconds which is wow fine. Yeah. But it's not going to win you. We were just talking about an electric vehicle that does in 3.7, and there's gas vehicles that do it in four, four and a half, you know. That stuff is not uncommon in the performance world anymore. So, again, very middling numbers for a vehicle that's branded Type S. So for and Type S is supposed to be like the pinnacle, right? Yeah, like you it's can't, there's nothing be, higher. There's nothing cooler, right? Yeah. yeah. So, the other things that Type S gives you. Uh, the, it comes with a 10-speed automatic. The transmission is programmed to shift a little quicker, and the ratios, I believe, are somewhat different. Uh, it has <laughs> SH all-wheel drive, standard, and it also gives you an air suspension, which I think is a first for an Acura. It, it, it can boost it up two inches of additional ride height if you're off-roading, LOL. Or yeah, you nothing can, sounds more Type F than off-roading. Or you, it'll drop 0.6 inches if you're in Sport Plus. And I think regular sport driving mode as well. And it has big Brembo brakes. But that's pretty much it for, for performance. So it's kind of... Driving it around, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Power is decent. But nothing about it feels special or particularly fast. And in terms of handling, it's not that focused. It's still... You're still carrying a top-heavy vehicle through a corner and you feel all of that weight. It, it, it doesn't shrink around the driver it's still a three-row SUV that's fairly large. All in all, it doesn't necessarily... Uh, this should be what the base MDX is, in my opinion. This is a yeah. great drivetrain package for an entry-level or mid-tier version of the vehicle. If they want to call it Type S, they should have wowed me with something exciting. At least 400 horsepower. 
And I mean, I think it's a really, it's really important to talk about how, how good the past generations of MDX have been. I think first generation was pretty good. I still see a, a couple of them on the road. That, uh, that, um, next generations were also fairly nice. And there was even that model that had the sport hybrid. Am I mistaken? That was yeah. The uh, sport hybrid was the previous generation, and that was very quick. I mean, it was very good, right? Yeah. And the the thing about this MDX is, we talked about the MDX on the, in the past on the podcast. Mm-hmm. The one thing I really really like about the Type S versus the standard MDX is, I think it looks great. I think it looks way better than the standard version. It's even though it's mostly just kind of making everything body color and adding black accents. Yeah. I think that works really well with the design language of the vehicle, especially the big front grille. I think it all comes together and it's a very handsome vehicle. I didn't expect to respond to it in that way, but it doesn't look like a big lumpy three row from the outside in type S form. The inside, it's not really at the level where you would be kind of like, oh, this feels super luxurious. It's kind of just feels like the nicest Ford or the nicest um, Buick Ouch. or it's not, it's not bad, but it doesn't feel premium. And it also but, has the weird infotainment system where I have to use my fingers like a mouse on a touchpad yeah. and it's not good and it should not exist. This is all, I mean, it really is kind of sad because there's a TLX type S as well. I'm sure they're going to make an RDX type S. And I think we know that they're going to make an Integra type. I think the Integra and the RDX have the best chance of being interesting. Now, here's the thing. The Type S name actually does have an impressive um, feature in this generation of Acura products. There is a very limited run of Acura NSXs, Type S. Yeah, and they had those in the 90s, too. But if, With, if you're not There are gonna... 350 of these. They have 600 horsepower. All of the reviews of these things are glowing. Like, they're saying they're fantastic. And then is... they did nothing with it for the MDX. That's what blows exactly. my mind. So you're basically going to point to this badge on an NSX, a 600-horsepower mid-engine um, supercar, and then point to the badge on an, M- an MDX and being like, same, same. Like, it's the same yeah. thing now. At least on an XM, right? An X5M, you can point yeah. at that badge and be like, I have an insane amount of horsepower, you know? <laughs> yeah, For exactly. Whatever your political stance is on performance SUVs, at least that's out there. But on this, you're outpowered by the Genesis GV80 3.5T, which is like 375 horsepower out of the box, and it's cheaper. <laughs> Um, I think I'm pretty sure it's cheaper. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can like you you can point at some pretty ancient product and and even call it out. Like 350 really isn't that good. Yeah, it's 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 not. And the other problem with this vehicle and this pricing is the fact that wait it, wait what was the pricing? Did it's sixty seven thousand dollars for a base Type S, and if you want the advanced package, which gives you a bunch of like interior gear for the most part. It's seventy-two grand. Once you're paying seventy-two grand for an SUV, you're not very far away from a V8 X5. Yeah, I mean, even the six-cylinder X5 is very good. If you get a well-equipped six-cylinder X5, you'll be happy. I'm, I'm convinced of it. So I'm looking at the GV80 right now, and yeah. I just, just for a price and comparison, I think the GV80 is an is an excellent vehicle. But I also think it, it's asking me for my postal code. You can get a 2.5 liter X, uh, GV80 though, and I, I wouldn't recommend that one, right? I'm sorry. You can get a you can get a four cylinder one. 2. Yeah, 5. but I'm only talking about we're, we're talking about the the high performance versions of the vehicles, right? Okay, good. So talk to me about this 3.5. I'm trying to get a price, and I can't right now because it's blocked me out of. Yeah, they know who you are. But they I, know what you've said about Genesis <laughs> in the past. 
Um, it's it's directed me to the Canadian site, so the pricing is not going to be accurate. <laughs> okay. This is just this is not a great experience right now. Uh, but anyway, it, 375 horsepower, and that's not even a high performance model. That is just the standard version of there's there's two GV80 drivetrains, right? Yep. So the the standard drivetrain in a Genesis is more powerful than the most powerful engine in the Type S. And that is okay, not a problem. That's on, that's on paper, because I've driven the GV80, and even that powerful version of the um, GV80, it doesn't feel particularly special. It doesn't sound cool. It doesn't, like, throw you in your seat but or anything like that. it's also not a high-performance vehicle. Yeah. So it's tell me if the Type S, if we took the numbers out of it, if you never knew what the numbers were, would that still be impressive? Would it no, feel there's impressive? nothing impressive about it at there's all. nothing impressive about it at all. Great. That's the that's the tagline they're going to use in the commercial. <laughs> in the commercial. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like the way it looks, and that's pretty much it. Everything else about it feels like a missed opportunity, or just like a very normal car. Okay, that's too bad. That's a missed opportunity. What could they have done? <laughs> they could Acura, have given it. Acura, they, like all falling? they did was move over the drivetrain from the. Uh, all they did was move it over from the TLX or T, yeah TLX. That's it. It's the same thing. There's not, no difference. I the think TLX the transmission is like slightly 100 different. Hundred pounds less. hundred, a thousand pounds less. I don't think it's a thousand Hopefully. pounds less. Nothing is. Um, Nothing's light anymore. So I, I haven't driven the TLX, but I've been told it's also an underwhelming experience. Okay. Sorry. That's the the 3.5 T starts at fifty nine thousand dollars. So it starts at six grand less. Than the Type S, and the most expensive version of the 3.5T is still cheaper than the base Type S, and is actually another seven grand cheaper than the advanced package you get with the the Acura. So, uh, to to my mind, this is a product that doesn't impress in terms of performance. Is priced at a level that I think only people who are really devoted to the Acura brand are going to find appealing, and isn't on the same level interior-wise as similarly priced luxury vehicles from pretty much anywhere. Um, maybe Lexus is close, but I think Lexus has nicer materials inside. So at that point, it's very hard to understand who's buying this vehicle, who the customer is for the MDX Type S. And I'm, I'm disappointed because I feel like Acura had a chance to kind of carve out an identity of some sort, and they've, they just haven't been able to do it. Yeah. I think they. this is the weirdest part about some of these. Like, of all the Japanese luxury brands right now, I think Lexus is the closest one to making an impression across all of their branding efforts. I hate F-Sport. I hate the whole F-Sport line. But they're killing it with um, all the products. I mean, they have an IS500 that at least, you know, fulfills the brief of being an interesting, inter- entertaining vehicle. They have the LC products. You know, they, they know what they have. And they're offering it with that. They're pairing people, the, people certainly want the RX. I mean, we've established that. Yeah. They're pairing the brand to the product a little bit more cohesively. Infinity hasn't done that um, in a while. I don't think they've, they're doing anything interesting throughout the whole brand. Uh, remember for a moment they had these cool cards called the Red Sport 400s, and then they didn't like make Red Sport a thing at all in any way or form for the no, rest of the it product? Kind of, it kind of faded away. I also really liked the... Um, the QX80 for a while. I thought the QX80 had a gorgeous interior, and now it's uh, the, the competition from like Lincoln with the Navigator, especially, mm-hmm. has really kind of normalized that playing field. Yeah, and Acura has been trying, but their their like efforts are not good enough. It's it's kind of sad. Now I don't know if we're stuck in between this moment where automakers are seeing um, 
fuel economy, like like Subaru. Remember when Subaru said we're not going to make an STI because it's insane for us to develop an, a there's, motor? They're saying that, but I, you know, Subaru is also a very small company that doesn't have a lot of money, right? So they can and say Toyota has been developing products globally. Uh, not Toyota. Honda has been developing products globally um, to meet a global brief, and I don't know if Acura fits into that budget as well as everything else. Right? It, it really, it really, I, I, I don't think Acura has really had an identity for more than a decade, maybe you know, fifteen years yeah. or so. I so, think you, you might be onto something. So it's tough. It's, it's like for a while they were kind of the Japanese Buick, and then Buick kind of. Created an identity for itself, yeah, <laughs> at least well, in the Chinese you- market, and then it was kind of like, well, where does that leave Acura, right? You know, yep. like if if you're being outperformed by Buick, or if, at least the people look at Buick and they're like, okay, I get it, I know what a Buick means, and then you look at an Acura and you're you're not necessarily sure what you're going to get until you drive it. That's right, I, I agree. So that's a tough position for for Acura to be in. Um, speaking of tough positions, Ben, can you talk to me about your Datsun? What's going on there, man? Well, uh, if you remember last week, I had problems with it that turned out to be a blown head gasket. And now that the engine's apart, it tur- I took the engine to be, not the engine, I took the head to be machined. And um, it turns out that the head is cracked. So I'm trying to find an N47 head for my car. I have a track event next weekend, which I'm going to end up dual driving my dad's Mustang, I believe. Uh, because there's no way I'm going to find, I mean, if I was able to get a head locally today or tomorrow, I would get it to the machine shop, get everything done, but that's realistically not going to happen. So, uh, it sucks. Um, with the first track event of the year and, uh, I was just about to have the, the Jeeps in the shop too, getting the air conditioning installed and everything was going to come together this week so I could tow it down to the track. But instead I'm going to be driving a car that's not mine. And I am grateful that my father's letting me do that because, you know, tires, but uh, it's it's disappointing. Um, I probably won't be on the track again until late summer, just because oh. of timing and whatnot. So it, it's after last year with the pandemic, where I only hit up one event, having the border open this year, I was really looking forward to being able to run with the club that I normally run with in New England. And that's not really going to happen at the same level. No, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Well, you own old cars and you, you get to play fun games like this. That's That's how it is. You yeah. play, you play uh, stupid games and you win stupid prizes. Don't call it stupid. I think you've enjoyed a lot about your your Datsun experience, and it's not over yet. So, right? Well, it's certainly over for a while <laughs> until now. I can locate an N forty seven head, which has proven very difficult. Yeah, if you know of where to help Ben out, you need to get in touch with us. Um, and before we end this week's podcast, I want to say I want to give a shout out to um, one of our listeners, Gary, who bought himself a. Um, 2022 Ford Mustang. It looks gorgeous. He did a little video uh, and shared it on social. I thought it was so cool. So congrats on the new car. And um, yeah, man. What should we talk about now, Ben? Well, uh, if you want to tell us about your own cool car or maybe a car you own that has a functioning cylinder head, you can get in touch with us in a bunch of ways. The easiest way is to go to the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a contact form there. You fill it out, you hit click, and it, it lines up in our inbox. Or you can find us on social media. I am on Instagram, at HuntingBenjamin. Sammy prefers the cesspool that is Twitter. You can find him there, at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or you could email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Um, additionally, when you go to our website, you can see all of our previous episodes. You can see photos of the cars that we've been talking about. You can, what else can you do? You can subscribe. You can, you can subscribe. Yeah. That's an important thing that you should probably do. Are you going to tell people how to do that? 
There's buttons. There's buttons on the top of the podcast, uh, on top of the website, or you can go to your favorite podcatcher or podcast client, search us out. It's Unnamed Automotive Podcast, in case you've forgotten. I don't know how you landed here just by accident, but it's Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Serendipity. And whatever. We like our accidental listeners. Uh, just hit subscribe. And if you want to send us a review or a rating, that'd be cool too. It lets other people know, um, you know, what to expect in the podcast and it helps us get better. So if you don't like what we're doing or if you think we need improvement, just let us know. We can, we can pull it off. And Sammy, what are you going to be uh, talking about next week? So I'm going to be heading to Monaco to check out the Grand Prix, the Formula One Grand Prix. That sounds very but fancy. When I come back, I'm going to be driving the uh, Kia Telluride. So I'm going to have to decide whether or not I want to tell you about F1 or a Kia. Por que no los dos? Okay. What's uh what are you doing? I'm going to be talking about the um Toyota GR86 semi. Oh sweet. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. I had that last year and I came away pretty impressed, but I only drove it for a very brief period of time. So I want to hear what your extended period uh testing period has with it. Alright. So thank you for listening, everybody. Bye.